you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Brought to you by Mind Architecture. Building worlds for your mind. All right. We got the great wall going on there. Nice colors. I thought you went to Toronto. Uh, yes, but I, I wanted. I was looking for the most fall that I could get, and this was a nice. <laughs> part of orange. Right. I'll tell you, what, driving up to Toronto, not as much color. Driving back down already, wonderful orange, yellow, red. Just we, Colleen and I, have a couple things planned now to go to. Uh, there's a place called Pine River Gorge, if I remember right. It's in the middle of Pennsylvania. That is their Grand Canyon of Pennsylvania. And what really matters, of course, is that it has beautiful fall colors. And so does Shenandoah. And so does upstate Michigan. So we have a couple little forays planned, probably just day trips. But just while while this is happening, I really love these colors and these displays and stuff like that. And there's a famous quote along the lines of autumn is where um, a second spring where every leaf is a flower. And that's really, I just love it. I love, there's something very cool about as you drive along, seeing like the the deep green of a conifer against the brighter colors and especially where it's a mixed forest so it's really like a cool dotted random pattern it, it's just a burst of color like this well on, on our property we've got mostly pine trees so a couple of the leaves turn yellow and fall but most of them are stay green so <laughs> okay that's we actually seek it out lakewood is a big tree city i think it's one of those that is a tree city usa whatever that designation means and so already probably a month ago we already had one tree in particular there was a big fireball of red it's i guess fall is coming early and right. So anyway, <laughs> fall has arrived. Fall has arrived. All right. And did we talk about this last time real quick? They have, they're so sophisticated now with the, the data that they've collected and weather maps and past history maps that they actually, you can go online and where they show like the line of like right. pre-leaf, peak leaf, post leaf kind of descending through the United States. And then there's places where because of elevation, it's earlier or later. And I, I just love that we can actually pull that map up and say this weekend or this Wednesday sure looks like going to Chautauqua in New York is a great idea. And the fact that, man, I don't know, when I was growing up, you just knew October. You'd go around Illinois and Wisconsin and know that it'd be pretty, but you couldn't really have this perfect pinpoint accuracy in terms of location and timing and just another way in which computers have made the world better yes it's just so nice to have this knowledge so anyway yes so uh let me start off i ran into our friend john bruning who's been on the show yeah he's been on yeah. my discovered wordsmith we were both at an author event together which was a pretty cool event in a lot of ways but shout out to john so the first thing he did is says i have a bone to pick with you <laughs> okay nice to see you john and he goes what is this i get on your guys's show we're talking about pulps and we talk about new pulps and i say my books are longer and you're like yeah that makes sense blah 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 and then you go to pulp fest and the first thing you say is shouldn't pulps be shorter and smaller and alan say, yeah and i'm like you guys just told me that mine were fine and then you go and i'm like <laughs> i was laughing i said we do enjoy your books and you had some great books but the original pulps really were shorter and thinner and smaller and i said in your books aren't even the biggest the one I, that one guy with king kong who has a short story in a flinch publication mythology right yeah yeah, yeah. he had a 350 page king kong book i'm like you know that's i'm like so maybe you really do need to embrace new pulps and then it covers it because old pulps are thin but new pulps aren't and he's like, yeah whatever <laughs> so shout out to john who has <laughs> great books and everybody should go read them and we're just joshing with you and i think he knows that we had a good time up at that exactly I, I don't of course i never i never remember our conversations perfectly but <laughs> i thought that it wasn't so much whether it's better or not it's just that old pulps really were they were meant to be disposable things you buy them off the newsstand you read right. them like 
produced overnight or a couple days. And they were meant to be fast paced, hard hitting, disposable, if you will. Yeah. And the fact that he writes better books, that there's yes, more plot, there you go. that there's more characterization <laughs> and stuff like that is, hey, Neo Pulp, maybe we learned that pulps don't have to be disposable. You can still embrace those wonderful themes of heroism and a, a, a team of people working together. And his Midnight Guardian books, again, shout out to them. I really enjoy them. He really gets what makes pulp books good and the villainy and the mystery and, the, and everything else. Please, folks, don't think that you're going to be grabbing a tome and reading a thousand pages. Who, who, Stephen Donaldson never gets to the freaking point. We can start naming the authors that yeah. they write so weightily that it really does affect the pleasure of reading. Colleen really likes John Irving. And once in a while, she'll be like, I'm enjoying this book, but it's a slog. There's just so much going on. Whereas Kurt Vonnegut was very good about saying what you want to say, just saying it, not, I don't know, elaborate prose and stuff right. like that. It's still beautifully written, just not overly done. Oh. So he just <laughs> shouted out, I told him right. I'd give him a shout out and correct the <laughs> sentence. And the, hopefully everyone goes out and gets Midnight Guardian for Christmas for everyone. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> and, and the anthologies that he's contributing to from Flinch Books, I, I love the fact that Part of what makes a good author to me is that they're not only I wrote a book and then I wrote the same book 30 more times. It's great that they can switch genres. And so he can write in the Western world, in the horror world, right. in, the, in the noir world. He, he's really good. And, and so are many of his collaborators. And, and they, as anthologizers, are really good. When I've read the sometimes anthologies are based on, hey, if we can snag one short story by a name, we can just trowel the rest of the stuff in there and people will still buy the book. And instead, I have found any number of, for instance, the Wild Cards books, which is where George R. Martin went before he had such incredible success with Fire. They were really even. Many of the stories were very good. What I like about an album is where it's not the hits and then a bunch of filler, but where they really found a whole bunch of people that understood what the anthology is about. The Thieves World books by Aspirin or others. There were maybe yeah. not the entire series was like that, but there were any number of books. It was like 12 different authors. And yet every single one of them was good just from different perspectives, different writing styles, different characters being involved. So I, I like the fact that they seem to also have taste as editors, as anthologizers. They're really good at finding people. And maybe you've had that experience with some of the, the horror things you've contributed to. Have you found that you're in good company, that most of what you read besides what you contributed has been of quality? Yes, you know? I, I think so. But of course, like you said, it's hard to do an anthology where everybody likes every story. The one, the witches one that I was in, my book was suitable for middle grade. It wasn't a middle grade story per se, but there was nothing in it that middle grade couldn't read. And the focus character grew throughout the things. Others that were darker, there was a romance, there was an LGBTQ story. So you, you're with that wide a range, you're not going to get every person pick up that anthology goes, wow, every one of these stories is wonderful. You know, so they're right. going to read some and go, yeah, I, I don't like this story. Yeah. Um, but sometimes that seems to be a matter of what their taste as a person is, not their judgment of the quality. Of exactly. That, you yes. know what I mean? Because it, just that there, there can be a really great romance and there really can be lame romance. And yes, stuff like absolutely. That, you know? so, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> the other great thing, there was some fun stuff at this. There were like 50 some authors. That was a big one, right? The Ohio Independent Book. I'm trying to think what the exact title was. Yeah. Book was Expo. Big, big. Book yeah. Expo. Okay. Yeah. So it was fun. It was nice. But what was cool that I love, there is a lady It started her husband and her started this independent bookmobile, essentially. They mm. bought a, a panel truck, like an old U-Haul, and they're getting independent books to stock it up with. And okay. it's not George R.R. R. Martin or Stephen King. It's indies that they run into that are at these types of things. Trying yeah. to encourage people to read indie books. And of course, I'm all for that. I, I'm, I'm willing to, right. I, I went out to talk to him. The, this was like, wow, I'm not sure what to say now. Because when they were advertising it, showed a picture of the bookmobile and her husband and talked about what they were doing and stuff. And I go out to see about it. And there was another guy there says, I'm just running it right now. She's inside. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk about, find out oh, about, blah, blah. You. Hello? Oh, did so I you froze up there for a minute. I mean, oh. Really? Okay. Uh, anyway, so he says, yeah, unfortunately, her husband just died recently. And I'm like, wow, oh. that's horrible. I wanted to go talk and, oh, this is great. And now I feel, but she's still doing it. 
So kudos to her. So I donated some books. She said, we'll fill out the forms and do commission. I'm like, come on, this is three books. It costs me $12 or something like that. So here, if it helps the indie bookmobile, if people buy my book and leave me a review, wonderful. So I'm more than happy to donate. And then the other cool thing was the guy that was running it for her that day, he does skunk rescue. And he had a a de-scented skunk with him that I got to pick up and hold and pet. And it was the most adorable thing. It just snuggled right up in my neck and I was petting it. It didn't freak out or claw me. It was like a big kitty. I just was petting it. Nice coarse fur. A little bit of a musky scent. He said they're really actually closer to ferrets than uh, you would think. And I was like, wow. this give off musk. Besides the stink sacks that they can spray and stuff like that, they just have musk glands everywhere and that's how they mark their territory right i have in college that had ferrets and you didn't have to wonder whether they had ferrets <laughs> right <laughs> they had the scent on them a lot yes so. yeah so uh, that was really cool and he had a baby squirrel i got to hold a baby squirrel that he rescued and so i was like okay i need to help support him when i can too it was a good day so really, an interesting uncommon thing like how often do you go to make little noises for a skunk you usually steer well clear of a skunk because right. you don't want to have to take a bath in tomato juice or whatever the right. five tail solutions are so that's well, interesting i hear I, they make even close yeah <laughs> i hear they make wonderful pets once you can get get them from a baby and get rid of the scent glands i hear they make great pets it was fun colin was jealous skunks are one of his favorite animals so he was very jealous of that <laughs> so i didn't have an idea as to like you said coarse fur i didn't know if they were like furry like an otter where the, the fur is so dense that it's actually very smooth or you could said more coarse and that's as a side note everybody sees these memes like an otter just a rabbit otter just bit somebody like dozens of times and in my idea otters are like the crowd clown princes of the animal kingdom they're totally cute and they roll and tumble around on each other and i'm always picturing if i ever met an otter that they'd be doing that up on my shoulder and chirp that kind of stuff and now unfortunately they can get crazy like any other animal from rabies and then they go nuts you gotta watch those cute white killer bunny rabbits you know that (laughs) (laughs) speaking of No, our October 27th, John Cleese is coming to the Ohio Theater or or something like that, I believe. I didn't get tickets for that yet because we've seen him once before doing these show the movie or the show and then comment on it and stuff like that. And I really like him as a speaker. But I think if I'm trying to remember exactly when Halloween is, if it's Wednesday night, it's we're already leaving Thursday. There's just a confluence of instead of jumping on it, I've held back on are we going to do it or not? And maybe we will. But I think think it's a Friday night, the same weekend as Halloween. That's why I won't be going. Yeah. And I. I can't make it to Halloween this year because animals and other people won't be around to take care of them. So I might go to this for the night. Okay. That's, we just had by us. We just were in Toronto for 10 days and it was amazing how many other cool things were happening here in Cleveland while we were out of town. You know what I mean? We missed Clannad was on their farewell tour and had to miss that. I don't want to go into the litany of it because it's painful, but sometimes that's what happens. You make it put a stake in the ground and then you find out, oh, like there's even, we're, we have tickets to go see Ryan Hamilton or Jimmy Carr, if I remember right. And it's exactly the same night as another great comedian that we'd like to see. And like, why don't you guys cooperate and coordinate your schedules? You know what I mean? I can see if it's a, com- a, a, a comedian versus a dramatic performance or something, but really you're going to put two comedians on exactly the same night within 10 miles of each other. Uh, okay. But we get that a lot yeah. with Colin, with the comic and toy shows that uh, they really watch that they don't overlap a whole right. lot, except there's this one down in Florida that's been trying to knock out some of the other ones. So it's been at literally on the same weekend on purpose. So then it okay. makes it hard for I, the vendors. I, <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny you should say exactly that. I'm going to Prague Stock this weekend, which is a progressive rock thing in New Jersey. And I have often gone to Prague Toberfest in Chicago for their thing. And Octoberfest people, who I, uh, Kevin, who I got to know relatively good, Kevin Pollock, was actually talking about why in the world are they coming too close to us? Why in the world wouldn't they say, how about like first and third or first and fourth weekend in October instead of directly competing? Because right. you're competing out for 
attendees, but for the artists. And if you have it close enough, then people will come over from England and go to one and then the other, and you can encourage the tour. But if you have exactly the same weekend and they got to make a choice, why in the world are you hurting each other? There's only so much in a particular subgenre of like ticket money to go around. And there really was competition where it was obviously meant to be head-to-head and nasty instead of cooperative you know what i mean you're right so it does that stuff doesn't make sense so many times i've seen things like that and i'm like are you guys just idiots or like oh it's we could branch out on this topic that's our culture and the american attitude i'm better than you so i'm gonna beat you and i'm gonna hurt both of us instead of hey you know what We could both survive and help each other. And we think about this with the soaps and stuff that we're selling. We're like, you know what? Instead of competing against these other vendors, like the cookie guy and stuff like that is, Mm -hmm. hey, let's talk. If someone buys cookies, we'll give them a discount on soap. Or if they buy soap, give us a coupon that we'll send them over for cookies. Or instead of that competition. Yeah. Boy, so a couple things real quick. Um, I actually, at one point at a Cincinnati RG, went to a similar bookmobile that you had talked about. And one of the things I loved about it, this was a, a lady. I don't think it's the same thing. I think it's one down there versus up here. I made a point of buying stuff from her because I want to in- support her efforts and independent authors and so forth. But what was really cool about what you'll read about librarians, you can walk into a librarian and say, there was this book I read 40 years ago and it had somebody in a red shirt. And they'll go, oh, you're talking about Dandy Goes to Town. And she was encyclopedic in her knowledge of what she carried. And so I said, it, it was um, early December, so perfect for Christmas shopping. Hey, my wife likes these authors, these kinds of books. And she like started pulling things off the shelf. She might like this, she might like this. And I really got books I never would have found on my own that I gave her just under that thing of, hey, Pook, someone recommended these wonderful things for you. I hope you like them. And she said that every single one of the ones, maybe, or maybe three out of four, were just what she would have wanted to read, but no way we would have stumbled onto them. So no matter what's going on with Amazon taking over the world and all the various different recommendation engines and stuff like that, there still really is nothing like you and me or bookmobile, bookmobile lady saying hey if you liked the boys then you'll also probably like this series not just gen v because it's the obvious successor or prequel or whatever i just love that i love that we can't lose sight of the fact that learned opinion good taste is really something that ain't going to do real quick Uh, recommendations have come real close but i know that when netflix had the netflix prize that they said can people rate things? And they say, can you predict, use what you know about people's ratings to predict things that we could recommend to people so it'll be more and more true. And they were able to bump it like by two or 3%, not by 50%. That maybe because films themselves are multi-genre, there's all kinds of things going on, but that it's really hard like to figure out from past things what future things might be. And that may be really hard is not the right way to say it. It's not a given. You really have to get to, like your, the data set that you start from. Someone might say, like I did, my wife likes these. How about these authors? And how about these things? And she was able to make wonderful quick connections in her mighty brain to get to that. Whereas the, when, depending on how you're training things on various different data sets, usually the more data, the better, though you can overtrain certain algorithms, but you really have to have statistics have to run the show to get you to what's the statistically significant amount of data that I have to make it so that my prediction is statistically valid. And for a person, that's three. And for an algorithm, it's like 3,000. You know, I'm just, you know, we're dumping into AI, but that's one of the things that I'm noticing is that we, of course, we have people talking about, hey, let's not get dangerous and those kinds of things. But in some ways, it's just the practicality of, like, don't discount how mighty our brains are that we really make, we're very good at soft, fuzzy logic, amorphous things. And that sometimes when you even just say, tell me a movie that unless you told me about it, I would never know about it, but you thought it was really cool. And people can pop things out immediately like that. But what kind of selection criteria is that? How does a movie, how does an algorithm judge? This movie's obscure. I guess it could look for days that it was in the theater and amount of copies that it sold or something like that. But people have a feel for Whenever I try to talk about this movie, nobody's ever heard of it. So I know it's obscure. I got my own little test set going. Right. <laughs> I haven't talked. And not just with regular people, but with other film buffs, there's actually something about 
how people work. If I'm talking to someone who's really knowledgeable about movies, like if I was trying, if I was able to ever say anything about Star Wars that you didn't already know, I would be amazed. And it would make me feel like warm glow inside of, oh my God, I, I, I brought something to Steve's table, Stephen's table that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even bet that I could. Things going on there. <laughs> Speaking of that, you mentioned the new Star Wars series, the Ahsoka show. I don't know That's if you've right. watched it, but Alan, this has been some of the best Star Wars ever. Not just in the last couple, ever. It has been so good. But it's <laughs> really only best if you know what came before it. And that's the Clone Wars cartoons and the Rebels cartoon. Not just the movies. Because Ahsoka's story was in the Clone Wars cartoon, continued in the Rebels cartoon. And this is like the, the third part of all of that. The live action after the cartoons had gone. Exactly. Yes. Okay. And there's so many things in the show that are referenced from the cartoons. And they're not beating you over the head, explaining everything. They're just assuming what's going on. So right. I've heard so many people come. I have no idea who these people are, but they're acting like they've been in here forever. And then you get the, the real Star Wars geeks going, yeah, you need to watch the Clone Wars and Rebels cartoon, idiot. And, and okay. people are just complaining and eh, I'm a Star Wars fan. I don't know what's going on. No, you're not. If you have, I don't watch cartoons, you really should because the stories <laughs> are fantastic. And this show is just wonderful. It looks so good. The story has been so good. It's so Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, and they do new technology. They have those new wraparound effects screens. I don't okay. know. I think we may have talked about those instead of just yeah. a green screen. It's literally okay. a movie uh, screen that they're running behind the actors acting. So it okay. looks really good. The lightsabers is new technology. It's not just drawn on. It's actually a glowing sword that they're holding and then they enhance it with uh, CGI. So, yeah. so it has real weight when they move. It has, it was yes. just, that's fantastic. I have read many reviews. It's funny, only because we've been visiting with other things have I not watched it yet. So, I, I, and I know you had mentioned before that you really thought it was great. So I kind of segue boyed through that your way so you'd have a chance to glow about it. But I really, some series are based on, it's an entry point for new watchers and they make a point of maybe explaining a little bit more or having not be. Other things are for true fans and they really do make all the references and all the Easter eggs and whatever else it might be so that people can say, the Star Wars universe is big, and because I'm one of the ones that's watched everything, I can really appreciate what's going on. There's it's some deep cuts in it. Rewards, so that's very good. Okay. And David Tennant does the droid's voice. Uh, and that guy wonderful. gets around, doesn't he? That oh, guy man. gets around. He is so <laughs> good am. in it. There's yeah. been a couple surprises, and Thrawn is in it, if you know who Thrawn is. I do not. See, okay. Thrawn came from some Timothy Zahn books back in the day and became a huge character, but then he's only ever been in the cartoons. So if you haven't watched the cartoons, you have no idea who Thrawn is and why we're, we're why he's in this other galaxy and why we're trying to get to that other galaxy and what are these big space whales that Ahsoka is on and who is this droid that's talking about knowing Anakin and Obi-Wan and every who is this droid it's all in the cartoon so yeah and actually I really do love that I love like bumping into something and finding out that there is a whole bunch of backstory and sometimes I like to watch things in order so maybe I should put off watching this new thing until I watch all those but sometimes it's really nice to watch the thing and then go and back watch those other things and say oh that's what they were talking yes. about this is that guy and, and like sometimes it's an old a young versus an old version or whatever else it might be but i i the mind makes mosaics out of things but takes all those different pieces and puts it into the pattern and sometimes it's very satisfying to read new and then go back and fill it in it's like that explains everything yeah very oh, good yeah okay. we did that oh. how many not you got everything from the beginning in order but <laughs> how many times when i was younger discover a comic book and that's this is 168 now i gotta find these other ones and read the story you know that's right it's funny Doc Savage was exactly like that for me. When I discovered those paperbacks on the racks that were the great bomb of covers, it was already, I think, number 66 to, to, since you're saying 168. And I love finding out like, wow, now there's a treasure hunt that I can do. Now I yes. got to go find all those things. And then the interesting but frustrating thing for me was 
And so I go back and I start finding all the Bantam things, and, and it really was a treasure hunt. There were some things that were so hard to find. Number 19, Pirate of the Pacific, was just impossible to find anywhere. And then after you start, I started reading them, and especially though I had started reading with number 66, when I got like number one through 12 were reprinted. And so it's great. I can go back to the start and get all the, and then you read something in like number three that's like, well, they're talking about this isn't right. I haven't read about it. And it has to be number one or two. And then you find out that they had published them out of order right. compared to let's tie it back to the pulps. So Bantam was the devil in terms of, if I remember right, like number one and number two were the first two published. And then the number three paperback published was like, like number 68 in the pulps. It really covered years. Well, pulps were virtually weekly or bi-weekly then. So not years, but multiple issues, if you will, number 68. And then you find it, you see how they're jumping around. And at one point, me being me, I not only had the Bantam paperbacks lined up, I had made a little, like the real number on a sticker and put it on the sides so that when I found the, the new ones, I really tried to read them in order. And only once, oftentimes I could wait while I was looking for the other one and read them in order. Sometimes I was just, no, I need a doc. I got to read a doc. And so I would move forward knowing that I was still missing number seven in the real order and I would find it eventually. So it, that cool thing of being rewarded and also like that, all what you talked about with Star Wars, that, that it was like, I was so happy when I, it's like scratching an itch you've had for years that you finally read the thing. That's where Ham first got his pet pig. Right. This is the book. Finally, <laughs> I guess this is the origin of Ham and Monk each had uh, a a pet of to mock the other. They were wonderful bickering rivals. And so one had a little ape and one had a pig. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <it's>, uh... <laughs> For, uh, speaking of that just reminded me so the loki show starts this week the season two so okay. that'll be exciting but also over this past weekend there was a, a hall of fame city comic-con in canton colin was ecstatic because he got to moderate a speaker asking questions and that ron mars who created kyle rayner who is colin's absolute favorite green lantern oh, so he was lanterns ecstatic he got to sit up there and talk to ron mars it was funny because i was sitting up front and they come walking through and calls oh ron this is my dad and i'm like hey how you doing nice to meet you and stuff and he goes oh nice to meet you and we're chatting a bit i had my deaf leopard hat on he goes oh leopard that's my favorite so me and him are talking <laughs> classic rock and Collins kind of, my dad just stole my idol <laughs> i was like oops <laughs> then he's up there talking about what he's done lately and he has been writing one of the 10, 10, I've brought this up many times, but 10 yeah. story writers on the new Diablo 4. They have 10 people dedicated to writing the story, the anthology history and everything of that Diablo 4. And, and when I've talked about this before, the guy I talked to, Evan Skolnick, who did a couple games, it was like there's one or two of us. Now we're up to these they're hiring 10 people to, and that's all Ron does is write story. Because the mythology is huge now. It, it's funny. I am a little bit, when am I going to have to buy a Windows box so that I can play Diablo 4 because it won't X, even run under emulation on my Mac and, and eventually parallels will catch up. And that's what I should, I'm going to have to get something because I'm jonesing. I really, I love playing Diablo 2 and 3. I've played far too many carpal tunnel amount of time with killing things. And I, I, when will I finally break down? You know what I mean? Because I, you, it, it's funny. Uh, boy, please go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, you can get an Xbox, a, a used Xbox One for 160, maybe 200. And there's a lot less that you have to worry about running it. If you have another machine, it's just true. Yeah. We'll and, and then, we, and then we, I'll friend you and we could play some of these games together. I'll get online and play with you. We we have talked about what a rabbit hole that'll be going yeah. down. It's like, all right, are we going to play every Wednesday night forever? You know, what right, I mean? it's, right. Uh, <clears throat> so real quick with Ron, oh, I'm sorry, with Ron when he was talking, who got him into the job with Diablo Four? My hmm. friend Evan Skolnick. He, he they know each other. So I was like, That's small world. I emailed Evan and said, hey, I ran into Ron. He says, hello. And I told Ron, I said, I know Evan. So I got to talk to him at the table for a while with video game stuff, which was cool. Of course, I'm not a big let me get signatures guy. 
And after that, I'm like, crap. So I went over to Adam's booth, found a comic that Ron had done and bought it and took it over from the sign so I could stand there and talk to him about video games. A little bit more, exactly. <laughs> Boy, a bunch of things there. I don't even know that they'll remember this. Way long ago, I was in a, a Mac user group in Chicago called The Rest of Us. And it was the biggest thing in the city. We really had tons of members. And we used to have speakers from all through the Mac. We had, no lie, Guy Kawasaki, who was Apple's first evangelist. We had Bill Gates when Microsoft Office came out for the Macs. Getting Bill Gates as a speaker was a big get back then. It was really cool. We used to have the boys from Bungie. Bungie, they started off like one of the first network games that had such low lag that you really could play it on shared Macs. Even back then, it wasn't even Ethernet. It was on Apple Talk, if I remember. Oh, my gosh. We, Another we, we special cable. <laughs> Another cable. So oftentimes, we would have them for our Christmas meeting because they almost always had either a new game or an extension to an existing game. So it was Pathways into Darkness. Then it was Marathon and, and all kinds of good stuff. And... I, if I remember having a conversation with them uh, going to story, like they had thrown names of mythical weapons like Mjolnir and Gungnir and stuff into that. And I was like, I read a lot of Norse mythology and like you guys are like playing fast and loose with what these things are really supposed to be capable of. And so I was like, I'd be happy to, to help. You know what I mean? You don't need to pay me any anything. Just if you want to have me bring me in to talk about the world that you're creating here. And they were doing an interesting combination of what it did with Quake and stuff back then. Master Boss, Master Chef, whatever else it might be. They were doing their own version of that, but they had all kinds of mixed mythology, if you will. It's like there's nothing wrong with mixing between mythologies and folklores, but you can't make Loki act like someone who's not Loki. You can't just grab a name, or you shouldn't at least. And so... We never, we never went beyond that talk with me. And back then, everybody in Bungie was named Jason. There was two main guys for Jason. Right. So, this, is, this is going so back, man. I, my, even my memories are fuzzy because sometimes when you have a conversation where there's 100 people at the meeting and everybody, that, that, that they're all chattering and asking questions and stuff like that, that I don't always remember who said what or all that kind of stuff. But I remember this thing of it, it would be better if you really did have a little bit of don't just grab a name that you happen to see in the book, be true to it. Go with the background because it's got like, anyway, That enough about that. Anybody who's done like the Ron Mars type stuff, he's got to be coming in knowing there's already Diablo mythology, the, yeah. the, the book that he has to follow, but Diablo 4 is a big expansion. So you can do things. And this is a comic books in general. His skills as a comic book writer came in very handy there because you're always coming into that situation of, I'm not the first guy to do this. Sometimes you are with, you create a character and a whole universe that you're going to have it play in. But most of the time, if you work for the big two, the big five, you got a, there's a continuity cop that's going to say, that's not what Green Lantern would do. Any Green Lantern, you know what I mean? Right. So it's, it must've been, boy, I would love to have been there for some of those conversations. <laughs> that's very and, cool. And there were right. some really good talks. Colin was like, wow, there's some good stuff. I only made it for that one because we were doing our, we were set up somewhere else, but it, he was a great guy uh, and people were, and this is the, the thing. First of all, Bungie, this shows you how the video game industry keeps changing. Bungie was yeah. huge back in the late eighties, early nineties. If a that's Bungie right. game was coming out, man, people were getting it. Lining they were, up. Yeah. And now they're gone. That's just how things yeah. have changed. Electronic arts back in the eighties made a declaration they were going to be an all Amiga, all Commodore Amiga company, everything because Commodore Amiga is the future. Well, yeah, for right. four or five years, maybe. Electronic <laughs> Arts is a completely different company than they were in the 80s. They were hippies back then. Now it's a big corporation. So it, it, it's I, Bungie got bought by Microsoft, as you might remember. And I got a feeling that's if you're if these guys were wacky, they really were. They were very young. They were like out of high school. Right. And I think they go to college because they were doing this company. They had uh, when Dave and I, good my good friend Dave Addis, we did a lot of stuff for the Mac user group together. We we went a couple times to help play test their games. They, they we got to be friends enough that they would invite us into that cool inner circle of this is really alpha. This isn't even beta. So we'd go to their office, and what could young guys bound for adventure afford? worst section of the south side of chicago one of these things where it's a building and it has like razor wire around the fence around the parking lot because otherwise you would come out and find that your car had been broken into it was really a bad area 
And so I going in there and what would it, nothing but crap snacks on the shelves, nothing but this is before Red Bull. So I think it was like Mountain Dew and whatever the most caffeinated available drinks were back then. And a startup, the tables were like doors put on top of cinder blocks. It was just classic. And sometimes you like you walk in it even smells like a stand-up it smells like someone spilled mountain dew here it smells like <laughs> people have worked 24 hours and maybe <laughs> forgot to shower for a right. while because there was so much into what they were doing and i've never i think i mentioned i did some stuff for plato and stuff like that but i've never gotten into the cool deep coding of a a twitch game of, of a fast response and big world so i i uh, believe me my little thing about, hey, you should make Mjolnir be more like Mjolnir, so much they did it all themselves. Whatever Dave and I might have contributed would have been the tiniest little tweaks compared to these beautiful things that they created. Right. They did a game called, I think, Myth, right? Where yeah. it was we, me and my younger brother's friends, used to get, I had an office where I was developing Gambit, my artificial intelligence way back then based trading systems and we used to get together for friday night until dawn on saturday parties where we had a big conference room and everybody would bring their various different machines in everybody had copies of myth we would have the same thing doritos and powdered donuts and all this the total empty calorie world of snacks and myth was such a great game for being able to do things individually or as parties and you could choose various different maps and it was one of the early ones where it had all kinds of not just what the company put out but a lot of people embraced it because it had the extensibility you could have regular people like you and me making these different modules you could add into it and man i i don't think i can think of an activity where i've ever lost track of time as deeply you'd start off playing like at seven at night after everybody maybe you know had dinner with the families kissed their wives and kids good night and then when it came to right. play music going and you'd like look about and and oh man we should all take a bio break it's already 10 o'clock and then you dive back in and be oh no right. it's one o'clock and okay anybody got to leave nope and you'd go until dawn was coming through the slats of the windows and be like, oh, all right, we better go home and crash now. <laughs> Doom was so, like that for me. That was my there you go. hours you know, at a time. People still had that experience. might be that because you can do everything online with such low latency that you don't have to gather. But right. so much of what was going on then, and there's like a chat function you can do stuff, but chatting is not the same as in real time. Right. Get some! And, and all the various different things yep. that you would just rag on each other and yell in triumph or oh, when you yeah. die you were so raz on somebody just, yeah when oh. you nail them with a rocket launcher yeah and the infinite replay of i'm gonna respawn exactly somebody got you with the bfg or something you know what i mean so I, myth boy, was those are fun to remember myth was one of the first games and this is not something people think about but it was one of the first games that you could change and rotate the camera around your characters Absolutely. So just that, so much of that game was making use of the available terrain, whether you're in a castle or out on right. the fields and stuff, and being able to do that. So pull back, be able to see, and then I'm going to go just around here and I'll, I'll just be able to get line of sight on him. Or if, I, if he's on top of the hill, I'm going to pay because running up the hill at a foe is very much to your disadvantage. But what can I do? Soften up with some grenades or pus bombs or whatever we had back then. <laughs> yeah. Okay, everyone. Pus bombs really were a thing, I swear. I'm not just making some of these weird things up. I can send my zombies at them, and then they will die, but they'll each of them will eventually explode. People were, boy, a friend, a shout out. I don't know if I've ever mentioned him on the show before. Vic Santos. Yes, a good, I've seen him. There you go, exactly. He was uncanny in terms of how much he was able to take Things we everybody knew about the game, but find a different way to use it so that everybody was like, where did that come from? What's that? And he was so perfect and precise. Mike Cox was great. Dave Redman was great. A whole bunch of people were really good at playing this game. But Vic was the one that was continually like, I was really coarse. I really, as much as I tried to get better at exact movement control and making use of available things and not running out of ammo just when I shouldn't, he was so hard to beat one-on-one -on -one or when he was on the other side because he really had situational awareness he really had like awareness of, of what things you have left and how to apply them how to make sure that while he's retreating and you go ah go get him he's like dropping little bombs behind him and then all of a sudden your legs are blown off so i just shout out to vic for humbling me many times with how 
smart he was and precise he was in his movements and stuff like that. And I, I guess you've talked about esports. There really is a certain amount of I would I'm curious as to how I would do if I tried some of those things because I'd be a pud. I'd get totally killed by people that could really snipe across an open space and you think you're just poking the tiniest eye out around and boosh. You know what I mean? There there really are people that have that level of precision and I'm trying to think what's what, there's a word for it, maybe catechesis or something where when you I'm always aware of my body in space, but when you pick up a lightsaber, some people, they wield it. Some people, it becomes an extension of them, yeah. and they're very good at it. It's now part of their weight, and they're very good at how long will it take to bring it around, and how can I extend my reach, or how can I get it back quickly to block? And I don't know that I have that greatly. Certain things uh, extend for me but not everything. And some people, they just really have that ability to extend their senses and their haptic feeling and stuff like that. And Vic was one of those guys that the entire world became, I, I have my little tentacles out in everything and really can make use of everything about the terrain, everything about the timing of a bomb. You know what I mean? There's a difference between whether it's a two, three, four, five step explosion as to when you throw it down so that you're anticipating he even if he sees it he won't be able to stop it in time before right. it gets him i just i uh, hats off to people that have that in, in the real world Ooh. as there really are there's people that are great warriors and are in an army situation great policemen great cops that kind of stuff that they just they are uncanny in how they can extend themselves like that that's cool and you mentioned esports. When I talk to the uh, coaches for the local esports team over at Biomed, it's not just the Call of Duty first persons. They do Super Smash Brothers, maybe Mario Kart, but I don't know if our region has Mario Kart. The fighter games, Killer Instinct, stuff like that. And I asked the coaches, I'm like, do you guys get your butts whipped if you play the kids? And the, the one coach said, I grew up playing Super Smash Brothers, so I can hold my own except for our top three players. I cannot beat our top three players. And okay. they really do treat it like any other sports practice. They're what they're good at, and they practice getting better at certain moves and learning the button combinations and helping each other. The coach, uh, not the coach, but the, you might say the star quarterback of the league, he will watch and evaluate other players and look, instead of that grab, you should have done this and help not go do it and practice doing that. And they really do treat it like that. And yeah. these are kids. Yeah. They're going to be way better. I said, Hey, you guys bring up space invaders. I, I'm, I got it. I can, I can take those kids out on that. <laughs> It's funny, there are, I played a lot of video games while I was in college and back in coin-operated arcade type stuff. So I guess there was always a limitation. I couldn't sit there at home for free doing it. But I know that there were certain games that like, you really get down to the pixel level where you really know, I used to play a game called Moon Patrol, where you're continually accelerating and decelerating and jumping over things and shooting things and shooting things out of the sky. And again, that's another one of those flow activities of when you're really into it, no matter what they're throwing at you, you're ready for it. You know exactly what to do. And people would watch me and would be like, like, how did you get through that? I'm not sure, but between finger memory and mind memory, you just, you don't even think about what you're doing, but you're doing it in perfect time right. so that it doesn't become a menace. And I, I think that I, boy, I think I mentioned I used to go to the big replay FX, the pinball show that was in Pittsburgh, tons of pinball and video games and all kinds of stuff, and was watching when someone broke like the Donkey Kong record. And that's one of those things you have to play, I think, 64 screens perfectly in yeah, order to break all that kind of stuff. And how many is the time that I, I, to me, I was like just running up the little lamps and blundering around and hopping a barrel. This guy knew like just where to stand so that the thing would like just muss his hair as it went by. It was so close quarters, but he knew exactly how to do it, time things, wait. It was like really humbling <laughs> to be like, that guy really knows how to do this. How much time did he have to put into this? Because I don't just play Donkey Kong. I play 50 different games. Right. And so the jack of all trades thing, I was only great at the ones that really fascinated me, make tracks or Pac-Man or whatever. I was able to get all the way through Pac-Man and get it to be where it, it stops. You know what I mean? There's a particular, the various different little, little dances. And having said that, I just, I really am in awe of people and pinball. I'm pretty good, but am I like top 20 in the country? Good? No, I'd have to have 
an extraordinary game to even be get on the board and then I'd get killed in the second round because I couldn't do it consistently. I'd have a great game, a great round, and then I'd re- revert yeah. to I'm just a casual player. You know what I mean? I right. didn't even go over to Super Electric often enough. <laughs> that's because to be a wizard, you have to do it by smell. <laughs> I guess that's it. The blinders on. <laughs> right. The, the s- games are so different, though. Back then, those games were patterns. If you learn the pattern, you can make it through it. And there's plenty of stories of people getting through like the first two levels of Pac-Man with their eyes shut because you know they know exactly how long in the pattern and they can do it and they don't have to worry about it. But now when you're doing these multiplayer ones that the esports do, well, that's, you're playing against real people. So it's variable and things change. It's totally different video games. Yeah. I, this is funny. I had one of the good things that the Motion Bungie did was they really started to have sound be a big part of the game. As you were going through a, a, a dungeon, you'd hear like little noises off in the distance, little scritchings, little whatever. And after a while, you got to know, oh, that's probably the armored crabs or whatever else it might be. And it was really cool to be like, I'm not actively trying to learn these things, but I guess survival trains hard. You know what I mean? If you're, you really got to know the difference between whether it's going to be a whole bunch of little guys or a big boss or and what they each sound and what their attacks are so that you can prep for. When I jump around here, I'm going to immediately open fire low, not high, whatever else it might be. And if I think it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how my brain always works. I'm just glad that it does. And when you get, sometimes you come to the realization of, huh, I really did that a little bit of what I talked about with move control without thinking about it first. After all, you just know this is going to be the amorphous blob and you don't want to get caught in it. You have to like use fire instead of bullets, whatever those things might be. You find yourself like changing weaponry without even making the decision to do that. Right. cool that you do various different actors, various different stagings in your brain. And sometimes they just take care of it for you. <laughs> And so, you mentioned sound. That. Doom Doom was big with sounds. And there was a couple creatures mm. in Doom. You'd hear the noise. You're like, uh-oh, there's you know something around the corner somewhere. And there was one creature that was just the big goat-headed demon lord. And I okay. would hear it go. Rrr! And literally the one time me and my brother-in-law were playing, and I went down an elevator, and I thought he was with me. And he's, I didn't get on. I'm like, oh man. So I get down and step off. The minute I do, I hear that screech and I, it scared the crap out of me. I stood up, knocked my chair over. I'm like, let me on. And I'm screaming. And he's like trying to get on the elevators. I'm coming. I'm like, it's after me. And I'm, and, and it was a scene because literally my heartbeat's like, and yes. my wife and my sister, his, my wife is his, or my sister is his wife. They come running over like, what is going on? And I'm like, let me down. They're like, okay, you guys need to take a break. <laughs> you need to stop your heartbeat 200 right now. That's isn't that what a testament to the immersive nature of those things. I know I've done it a number of times where you're like, you can feel yourself sweating because yeah. you're like 20 minutes worth of getting through a really complex level and your body is getting all the fight and flight and all the adrenaline and all, all the signals are as if you're really doing this. So it's no wondering that you're drenching yourself in sweat. It's no wondering that you're getting twitchy because yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> no, please continue. Yeah. What, what, like everybody must've had this, right? You, you get through all that. You survive like a 20-minute thing. And it is just you get the, not the heebie-jeebies, the, the shakes from the adrenaline is coursing yes. through your system. But now you don't have a place to apply it. So you're like, and you got to calm yourself down. What a testament to, and you feel all, I did it. I'm all, I'm so bush that I made it through all these kind of things. And of course, some of them are really good at how after you get through, then you find like the, ultimate treasure the huge locker or chest or whatever of all the things you might ever want and so you're just like a little you're you're pulling all these things and you're like oh i can't carry it all is it going to be here when i get back what do i have to do do i have to survive getting out i might they really i love games that were they very much understand human nature and they really get you gotta give that breather and that moment of triumph but then you also have to like okay you put your hat back on it's now i gotta get out and then right. away we go I, right. <laughs> one of my favorite games and actually one of the games that helped push me into being a writer was alan wake uh clear back in the day is 12 years ago or whatever um yeah. love that game uh, i got the remaster when it came out a couple years ago but they just announced Alan Wake 2, and re- it's coming out at the end of October. 
I did. I pre-ordered it, and I never pre-order a digital game. I'll wait and I'll go get the disc a couple months later for okay. ten, twenty dollars cheaper. I pre-ordered right. this digitally, the deluxe version, not just the regular. You can't wait, man. Yeah, that's that's cool. And I'm playing <laughs> Alan Wake One again, and let me tell you, it's a good, scary horror. And I'm sitting there. I realized last night I'm getting all tense. I hear the music, and there's you know audio cues. I know there's going to be a, a, a taken, and where is he? And it's a great game. And I was noticing this because. People bitch. I could take them out if I was able to pick stuff up or if I could hold that door shut and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but I love it, the game, because it doesn't have hold this button, hit this button and up and you do this. Hold this button, press this button and down and you do that. And it doesn't have so many combinations. All you do is you have a flashlight and a gun. You shine the flashlight to knock the darkness and shoot them or you run away. And that's all you do. Doors open automatically. You can't pick stuff up and throw it. It's simpler controls. But that's what makes it so scary is because you're so limited on what you got to do. So the tension actually ramps up even more. And I was sitting there last night and I'm playing. I'm like, oh, I hear him. I see light and I'm running. And then they pop up in front of me and I'm like (laughs) and dodging and trying to shine my light on. I'm like, no. And and of course, you run out of batteries because you're hitting the high beams. And I'm trying to hit the Y to get more batteries. Instead, I hit a flashbang, which is good. It takes care of them. But I'm like, that was my last flashbang. Now I don't have the, the nuke to throw at them. Long ago, I know we talked about this a little bit, in uh, uh, Plato, I used to play lots of D&D games, and the graphics were nothing compared to what we have uh, now. There really was that same level of tension where you'd be it was like 10 levels deep, and you'd be wandering around, and occasionally you'd fall down a chute. And if you go from level five to level eight, there are seriously harder monsters down there. So now you're trying to like, hopefully you have some of it mapped out, so you have a, a ghost of a chance of getting to a staircase out. Or you just wander and you hope that you'll find a staircase. And me and Stu, me and my younger brother, Bruce, we used to look, you know, like play right next to each other, do tag playing. And that level of every step you take, you're, look, you're looking around and you're and things jump you and you open a door and you really don't know. It, it was as tense as if going through a haunted house, like you yeah. described. It really was. It's just tiny rude graphics on the screen and yet it really was envelopingly well done yeah like they really can do this they can simulate what it's like to be i could die down here i could die right (laughs) this is not like me going for a hike in the woods this is me going for a hike where there's like fumaroles on all sides of me and i'm like you know what i mean so (laughs) so since it's Halloween season, my other favorite horror game is the Silent Hill series. They've got some really scary moments with a really good story. That's what draws me in, which is why I'm so invested in this video game storytelling stuff. It's a good story. If it's, yeah, okay, great. I love Space Invaders, but what's the story really? But if you're interactive in the story, like Alan Wake, it's very much a story-based game. And I think that draws me in even more. Uh, and Silent Hill's the same way. I don't know if you've ever played any of the Silent Hill games, uh, but they can be very spooky. I am so much a computer game guy instead of an Xbox or any kind of console that there's a whole universe of things that I've missed out on. And first, in some cases, for good reasons, I know that I have, if not an addictive personality, I know that I really enjoy things while I'm trying to conquer them. And it's like, all right, I have a job. I have a family. I, I, I need to take care of not just falling into this game again and again. Right. And so as long as I'm already doing for computer games, I still play Civilization, still play Diablo. That's like a break from doing other things instead of uh, if when Alan becomes available to you, you know that you're going to fall down the rabbit hole yeah. for a couple of hours, days, weeks, whatever yes. else it might be. You're going to have to discipline yourself. So that's why I've never gotten into any of the big consoles because i know that i'd be like oh now there's so many good things to draw well, and it's you, on you, the tv so it's it's so easy to just oh, oh. you say <laughs> that yet i know you have a gog account you want to talk about going down the, oh look gog's having a sale wow that's all nine myth and magic games for a dollar 24 <laughs> i have of course bought any number of those things and some part of it is I don't know. They opened up gambling in Illinois and I had to go a little bit. At first it was only riverboat gambling, fake. But I, the way that I knew that I really wasn't an inveterate gambler, unable to control myself, was that even though those things were available, I wasn't going there all the time. There was a time when I really loved playing blackjack and 
loved beating the house. I was, you know, I learned how to count and was pretty good at it, but it wasn't the only thing that I liked doing and I didn't want it to become that way. So I disciplined myself. And so I have so many things lined up on GOG, on Steam. You know what I mean? That I, I haven't even, I got them with the, the point of now I'll work my through all of the myth and magics. Now I'll right. work all the, all the wizardries. And I just haven't because I have other things going on in my life. And I guess that's good, even though now that Colleen and I are both retired, we really have all the time in the world that we want. And I once in a while, I really need to say, Pook, I'm going to take this weekend off and just fall into this game that I've been meaning to explore. You know what I mean? So yes, I'll join you for meals or I'll, you'll see me take bathroom breaks, but otherwise the way to do this is to really immerse yourself in it. Even if that seems weird to people that don't get how immersive and fun it can be. And just my typical thing before anyone's, of course, most people listening to relentless geekery podcast, get it, understand it. And it's cool. Right. But I'm just going to say, how is that any weirder or different than sitting on the couch with hot dogs and nachos for six, seven hours on a Sunday, watching guys run around on a green field with a ball? Watching two, three football How's that different? That's, you're exactly right. Everybody has their thing. Colleen will fall into a book and, and, and not be able to stop reading it before she goes to sleep at night. And we each have our thing. And, and the, the, definitely the sports thing is strong in people. We were up at, uh, in Toronto and we saw people like on the days that there was a Toronto Blue Jays game, you could tell because we were staying right downtown and all of a sudden all around us was a sea of Blue Jays jerseys and stuff like that. And so it's, it's cool. Like, okay, they're all going there, which means that the restaurants right around here are going to be very busy, but I can go anywhere else in the city and it'll be less populated because everybody's at the game like Cleveland is on a Sunday right. you go hiking in a national park and it's not crowded because everybody's at the game on a Sunday. So it's, it's very handy. And yeah. so in Toronto, great city, so much comedy. We saw 25 shows in 10 days. So 2.5 a night, seven, nine and 11. We often out of the way the schedule was arranged. We didn't make it to a late show or we just chose not to, because there's nobody we wanted to see, but we tried to use our pass up the reason it's possible to do that many shows is what's one of those things where you get credits and every time that you see a show, the credit gets returned to you. So then you uh, uh, get a reservation for the next show. And of course I had done <clears throat> the master spreadsheet of all of who's in what place at what time. And then you can see, we can make it between the comedy bar and the um, garrison relatively easily, but it's not easy to make it back to Meridian hall or something like that between the, what we when, when the schedule first came out, we had 13 credits. We, I already had probably seven or eight of them lined up at the shows we really couldn't miss. The Michelle Wolf, the Tom Papa, the Neil Brennan, all kinds of like big names, even though they were just one out of this set of credits. Our headliner was Sam Morrill, who I didn't think was, he's really good, but is he the guy that I w- most wanted to see? Might have been Tom Papa. So then besides the ones we had already lined up, then we're opportunistically, I was looking three, four days ahead, because as we roll through the three shows that night, we could get the next one. We ended up seeing no duplicates or repeats. The ones we blew off the most were, were we're not going to be able to make it by 1130. And I don't want to walk in late to a show that is a little bit disruptive. Plus it's the farthest away. So getting out at 130 in the morning when maybe the trains and buses and streetcars have stopped running, and now you have to take a Lyft or an Uber. We really did it perfectly this year with how many shows we saw, but very low stress. When do you fit your meals in? I've talked about this before, like the joy of going to Toronto or Vegas or anywhere. If you're willing to use public transportation, you can get around with your mighty Presto card and the idea of when things are running, the map, mapping software in your phone tells you which ones you want to take. You're standing there at the thing. It says next one is in two minutes. I, I don't mean to go on, but man, the world is so different than when I was young. And you really, did I memorize the bus schedule? Never. But nowadays it's always at your fingertips and it's just so amazingly convenient and reasonably priced. And in Toronto, it's clean and safe. You're not it's a nice city. A broken light at, at a thing where everybody is suspicious around you. You're like places where there's tons of nightlife and we're, we might be the oldest people there, but we're not spry you know what i mean we're we're not looking hey i'm a victim come get me we just had the nicest time and toronto is amazingly cosmopolitan like chicago or new york or la where it's got every ethnicity represented every sexuality the restaurants of every kind the the neighborhoods are strong where you could really say here's a demarcation point between hispanic and korean or whatever else it might be 
We just love it. I don't know why we would not do this every year until we can't anymore. It's such a great break at the end of September. Like I mentioned at the very start, driving back, leaves are changing, totally beautiful around Niagara Falls, et cetera, et cetera. It's just right. yeah. never it wasn't even a vacation. It was like a trip. You know what I mean? Now that we don't have to worry about, oh no, Monday morning, right. start again. Anyway, so there, my quick plug to Toronto, to- folks. It's a beautiful a city. Experience. Go to Just for Laughs and a beautiful city. Everywhere we walked, we were like, their city hall is beautiful. This park is beautiful. Even just, I don't know, we kept discovering things. If I was even being one of the interesting things for us nowadays is we've been there probably eight times now. So the very first times we were going, we really were touristy. Let's go to the CN Tower. Let's go to the zoo. Let's go to Casa Loma. And now that we've done all those things, some things I wouldn't mind doing again. But a lot of it is. I don't feel the need to make it to every museum and every art gallery and all that kind of stuff. A lot of what we did during the day was just relax, go for a leisurely stroll instead of being on purpose, go out to center Island and see what the city looks like across the Bay there. Honestly, it's the best trip we've ever had in terms of the, all the great stuff we got to do, but being very low stress in doing it. Wonderful. I, nice. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. City. And it's only six hours away. It's less time than Chicago. Right. You know Gotta 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 go around a couple of Great Lakes to get there, but easy. And the dollar is strong against the Canadian dollar. So everywhere that we were going, we got like a thirty percent discount. Right. Every meal we we bought a book or two. We it just it emboldens you to be like, I'll try this. Maybe I wouldn't have ordinarily gotten something this expensive, but it's a third off. Let me give it a go. So right. <laughs> we ate Italian and and Asian and Egyptian, all different kinds of ethnicities. I, I might be going on too much, but anybody, if you ever want to do a great festival, Just for Laughs occurs in both Montreal and Toronto. And now we're actually looking at there's one in Austin. There's one in Vancouver. Are we really crazy enough? We'd go to Vancouver to do this. I don't know. We've not explored Vancouver. That's yeah. maybe on our list. You know what I mean? But, yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I thought of you. So I, I saw an article and I didn't read it. I saw the headline, didn't read the rest of it, but it was basically this guy retired that didn't want to pay the fees for a retirement home because how expensive they are. So he booked contiguous cruise ships and he's been like 15 cruise ship voyages in a row because he said it's cheaper than a retirement home. Wow. That's kind of amazing. Really? Because cruises are not a no, but, but you get an yeah, inner yeah. berth and you can $1,500 and you get a seven to 10 day cruise at right. times. And unlimited food and always a little bit of entertainment or just go sit on the deck in your yeah. cruise lounge and enjoy the ocean, the bay, whatever. Yeah. The, that's pretty cool. That's so, what I talked about taking. So we are next year. We're doing the one progressive rock cruise, which goes down to like Jamaica and Grand Caymans. And we're doing this really cool cruise that's going to go all around the Baltic Sea. So we're going to see 10 countries in 10 days. And what's, I don't know, I usually enjoy going to a place and kind of wandering and immersing in it. So we'll have each of those days during the day. But then every night you go there, you have a great meal, you go to sleep, you wake up at another port, another country. It's going to be really cool. I'm looking forward to, Colleen and I made this agreement, we want to be able to say, hello, thank you, where is the bathroom, in every language that we're going to be going to. So I'm going to be a little bit of Lithuanian and Estonian and Latvian, a little bit of German and Finnish and Danish. It's going to be really cool. And of course, if you speak any, then you get when they come at you, oh no, I am an Americaner. I I did not really speak enough. It took me long enough to learn hello. (laughs) But I think that people like you better if you speak enough of their language, make the attempt. Like when I was in France, I did say un diet coke, s'il vous plaît. And they laugh because I don't sound at all like I really am a French speaker, but they're okay with you not just being the ugly American. Hey, can I get a diet coke? Like everybody there does speak English, but there's got to be a joy at you're trying to fit in instead of I brought my American assholeness with me. You know what I mean? Yeah, when I go to a restaurant that's obviously run by some native speakers of whatever the ethnicity is, I'll ask them, I'm like, how do you say that? And I'll try and say, did I do okay? Did I do good? And usually they chuckle and laugh. And I know some people are like, oh, those asshole Americans are usurping our culture and blah. No, I'm honestly trying to do honor to it. And I want to learn, you speak American. Why shouldn't I learn a little bit speaking whatever your tongue is? Exactly. 
I know I've been like Mad Magazine used to have things about this that if you make the attempt, you're like, well, sir, that was a good try, but you just ordered a well done tractor. Yeah, you know what I yeah. mean? So because the languages are tonal and there's different endings and all that kind of stuff. And so there's a different discipline in learning a whole bunch of different languages. I will still give it a try and totally embarrass myself by, yes, that's no, we don't serve earmuffs here, sir. You know what I mean? It's like, Me and Reese oh. just did a, a movie review yesterday. We were talking about that where and i forget the the language but the person we were talking about has oh argentinian dialect and she speaks spanish really well but everybody all the other south american countries hate argentinian dialect and their accent so i'm like so it's like texas accent is that southern accent to the uh, the spanish and okay. i was like you don't really think about that you think oh they're spanish but it's not there's multiple accents Exactly. I, it, that really must be the case in Canada. There has to be a different way of speaking in the cities versus the country or the east versus the west. I don't know. London has 30 different accents in London. You know what I mean? <laughs> you speak whether it's, it's posh or cockney or and I, I will be foolish if I try to name them all. But you, there's a whole bunch of how you treat other people, class consciousness and so forth based on do you speak proper? Right. Or, or, or yeah, are you more wide in what you're trying to say? You know what I mean? I just... It, it, <laughs> oh, okay. I have yep, a yep. conference for my mom at noon, so I'm going to break away. Yes. I'm glad. I'm hoping that your last week was uh, yeah, easy. Mine was, and we'll reconnect next week. We'll, we'll we just say you, you had a much better week than I did. We'll leave it at that. That's, I feel for you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. So. All right. All right, man. Take care, Stephen. Later. This has been the Relentless Geekery Podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, relentlessgeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page, Join the Conversation, and go check out our YouTube page, where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.